welcome home and welcome to the Mount Carmel Ministries podcast. On today's episode, we start a new series with Bill Yonker, who will use stories and humor to help us think about ways that we can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Seasoning our little corner of the world, being the salt of the earth. And so, yeah, here's, as I said last night, if you were here, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. And then he doesn't say anything more about it other than what it means not to be salty or what happens if you're not salty. And it's kind of like, uh, you're skipping something here, Jesus. Or maybe, just maybe, if we become more familiar with the scriptures, we get what he was trying to say all along. So that's what we want to do is we want to look at, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now that makes sense, doesn't it? First of all, I mean, can you imagine salt without it tasting salty? Can salt salt go bad? I don't think so either. So what does this mean? Could it mean that Jesus is saying... So I met this fabulous, fabulous uh, woman down in North Carolina. She was, I think, 100 years old, maybe 101. And she was... uh, um, former college professor uh, of a historic black school. And I'm trying to remember the name of the, the university. She's an African-American lady. And um, I had a chance to meet her. And when you met her, um, she would like to give direction in life. And so I, she, she came to one of my sessions, heard me talk. And uh, then afterwards, I said, everybody just called her Missy. Mizzy. M-I-Z-Z-Y, Mizzy. And I said, Mizzy, do you have any direction for me? And she said, yes. She said this. Be what you is and not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. Let me say that again. Be what you is and not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. And you know, I was like, wow. I'm not sure I know what that means, but I went, wow. Over the years, that's been a number of years, I think I'm figuring it out. Be who God called you to be. Um, I was, uh, I can't remember who I was talking to about this. I'm turning 60, December 18th. Write it down. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, my, my mind must be filled with other things. because. So we were talking about counseling. And uh, I'm a terrible counselor. I tell people that. Don't come to me. I'll mess you up. Um, But people still come to me. You know why? Because I'm free. How many pastors we got in here? One, two, three, four, five pastors. Yeah. Are you any good at counseling? She said she's good at listening, but not great at coming up with answers. You're still 50% better than me. Who else, Pastor? Yeah, you, same thing for you? Trying. Yeah. You're a good counselor. Yeah, I, you look like a good counselor. You look, you know, that empathy. Yeah, I'm, and, and so um, I have a, a fabulous lady part of my congregation named Lisa Ludke. And, uh, well, she's not a part of my congregation. Congregation has contracted with her, and um, I refer very quickly to her um, because uh, I don't have the right questions. 
But I've got to tell you, the first 10, 15 years of my ministry, I would go into deep depression because I was a terrible counselor. And I thought, I'm a terrible pastor. I'm a terrible, because I can't counsel. Now, when it comes to law and gospel stuff, I'm good at law and gospel stuff. You know, somebody comes to me and says, oh, I'm a dirty, rotten cheat. And they tell me, I, you're right, you're a dirty, rotten cheat. Now, that's good law and gospel, but that's not good counseling. Um, but for so long, I, I, it hit me. I wasn't good at counseling, and, and I felt terrible. And then all of a sudden, I realized, that's not why God called me to be a pastor. That's not who he made me to be. Now, I, I strive at it. I still, people say, can I, I've never, ever said, when people said, Pastor, can I come in and talk to you? I've never said no. Nope, don't want to. Uh-uh, you're part of my flock, but no, I do not want to talk to you. I've never said that. Now, some of you pastors are looking and going, but you wanted to. <laughs> so I, I'll talk with people, but I'll refer them quickly, especially when they need deep, deep counseling. Be what you is and not what you ain't, because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. And Jesus is saying that to you. He's saying, be what you are. You be you. How many of you in here are Minnesota Vikings fans? How many of you in here don't care about football? How many of you in here are Green Bay Packer fans? My people. Now there's the power of the gospel. We can sit in a room together and still be friends, um, even if you don't like football. Or you be you. You get to be you. You know, um, when I was growing up, when I was 13, there was a song that came on the radio, and I fell in love with it. But I was too afraid to tell my friends. It was called, I Think I Love You, by the Partridge family. And as a 13-year-old boy who liked the Partridge family, you would have got mocked to no end. I have Pandora. And I put David Cassidy on there. And when the Partridge family thinks, I think I love you, I roll the windows down. And I sing lustily from the full throat that I have, not caring if it's cool or not. See, here's part of the problem, folks. We are enslaved, every single one of us. We are enslaved to other people's opinions. We let other people determine our satisfaction. Charles Cooley, the great uh, sociologist, he's dead now. He was known as the Dean of American Sociology. He had an incredible theory. The theory was called the looking glass theory. And it basically said this, you will never think higher of yourself than the most important person in your life thinks of you. Whoever this is the most important person in your life, whatever they think of you, you can't think higher of yourself than what they think of you. So that's why we tell moms and dads, don't call your kids, you know, um, I'm stupid, ugly, fat, because the kid will never think higher of them because you're the most important person at that point in your life. If the most important person in your life thinks you are pond scum, you will never think higher of yourself. That's the looking glass theory. And so what happens is as we, we age... Different people become the most important people in our When we're little kids, it's mom and dad. Then we get older, it becomes friends. Then as we get older, it becomes sweethearts. Then it becomes spouses. And then it probably becomes our kids again and then grandkids. And so we are always trying to measure up to somebody else's opinion. And we knock ourselves out because we're enslaved to that. You will never think higher of yourself than the most important person in your life thinks of you. So we knock ourselves out trying to live up to the most important person's expectations of us. Does that make sense? Here's the problem. 
the most important person in your life is fickle. Every single human being you've ever met is fickle. You look great in a purple shirt. Oh my gosh, what are you wearing, a bag today? I mean, it's, it's that quick. We can turn on a dime. I love that story in the book of Acts. We'll talk about that this week. Where um, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas are, are, are doing these great things, and they think they're gods. Literally four verses later, they're stoning them. People can turn so fast. So there was the phone rang, and uh, the sec- church secretary, that was right on time. The church secretary answered the phone, and she said, hello, and she named the her church and said, can I help you? And there was a voice on the other end that said, little silly, let me talk to the head honking and trough. She said, what? He said, yeah, let me talk to the head honking and trough. She said, what? This is a church. What are you talking about? He goes, I know it's a church. Let me talk to the head honk. So I do not know what, the pastor, let me talk to the, you call my pastor the head hog at the, no sir, you may not call him the head hog at the drop. No, he is an honorable, respectable, godly, you may call him pastor, you may call him mister, you can even call him by his first name, but I will not have you call him the head hog at the drop. And the voice on the other end said, oh ma'am, pardon me, I beg your pardon, I did not mean any offense. I live down here in Texas, and well that's just how we talk down here. He said, but I actually grew up in your community. In fact, I was born, baptized, and confirmed at that church that you're serving right now. Well, the fact of the matter is, I just struck oil. And I'm now a billionaire. And I wanted to thank Jesus for bringing me into his kingdom. So I was just calling to tell you that I'm sending up a check for $10 million. Girl, I said, you're giving us $10 million? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, free money? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, hold the phone. The big pig just walked in. Because we can change so quickly, can't we? We can turn on a dime. You are the salt of the earth. So we're going to look at five things that salt does. First day today, salt flavors. It's why we, we, we shouldn't put it on as much food as we do. It shouldn't be in as much food as it is. But the fact of the matter is, salt flavors. And that's why first Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. He wants us to flavor Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes. I don't know what it takes. What happened here? What's well, really just the first part, so we'll leave it there. Taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Taste and see. Um, my, uh, I do, when people say they want to talk to me, I like to get out of the office, so I'll, I'll, I'll say, uh, Let's go over to Caribou Coffee or Starbucks or the Manor Restaurants of Pancake House. Um, Einstein Bagels. If it's more serious, you know, then we do Panera. My high school kids started calling me Sir Lunch a lot. <laughs> Never miss a meal, Yonker. Yeah. Um, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because the Lord is good. One of the problems that people don't follow Jesus is they don't know he tastes good. They think they think he's boring. Some people do. So I fly a lot. Well, I fly about 50,000 miles a year running around the country. Um, last year I went to Denmark. Next year I'm going to go to Germany, Austria, and Switzerland for an 11-day uh, speaking tour. 
I get to fly a lot. And I love being on planes because people next to you are captive audience. <laughs> no, I, if they want to read, I, 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 truly, I truly try to be respectful. You know, some people put their nose in a book or they put on their headphones and pretend they're sleeping. And I, I respect that. I always do. But um, there's people that want to talk, you know. And, uh, you know, you, you start, hey, what's your name? And they'll say, what's your name? And I'll say, Bill. And they'll say, hey, what do you do? And then they'll tell me what they do. For 20 minutes, you know, they, they launch into what they do. Because people like to talk about what they do, especially if they like their job. You know? And if they don't like their job, they'll tell you 20 minutes why they don't like their job. But after about 20 minutes, politeness will dictate to them, because they were all raised with manners, that uh, maybe I should ask Bill what he does. And they'll say, Bill, what do you do? I'm like, glad you asked. I'm a Lutheran pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I travel around the country telling people about Jesus, mostly at youth gatherings, but also at camps and colleges and other events. And you see a look of horror come over their face. And I always kind of let them out of it. But I was talking to this one guy, and you know what he said one time? He said this. He said, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a follower of Jesus. And I said, why not? He said, do you want me to be honest? I said, of course. He said, well, you know, of the Christians that I met, they're boring. And they're bored. And I'm thinking, you know, when Jesus walked the land, they accused him of a lot of things. Didn't they? they accused him of being a glutton, a wine-bibber, a drunk. They accused him of hanging out with the wrong kinds of people, you know, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the rogues and the ragamuffins and the rest of but you know what they never accused Jesus of being? They never accused him of being boring. But if they're accusing us who are followers of Jesus of being boring, but they never accused him of that, could it be that maybe our following could use some tweaks and turns? I'm not suggesting we need to overhaul our whole machine, but maybe some tweaks and turns. And that's what I, I want to do. Let's uh, take a look at this. Mother Teresa, she said a great phrase. She said this, Evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's all it is. Folks, you can't shove Jesus down people's throats. I love pizza. Bet you can tell. I love it. I'm a pizza snob, though. I live in Chicago. And any people from out east and that New York floppy stuff, they think that's bad. Yeah. Come to Chicago, baby. Deep dish. I'll show you pizza. Um, but if you held me down and shoved it down my throat, even as much as I love it, I'll gag on it. And I'm not suggesting that we shove Jesus down people's throats. Taste and see that the Lord is... You know what? People are starving. Uh, Tiger McClune, uh, you know Tiger. He identified three uh, major needs of teens. But I, I really believe the three major needs of human beings. So number one is this, the need to be loved. Number two, the need to be valued, that you matter. Number three, the need to know that you're not alone. I submit to you, those are three deep needs of every single human being walking and what is Jesus? Remember, the need to be loved. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. The need to know that they matter, that they're valued. 
for this I go to the cross, hang, bleed, and die, that I might rise again and give you eternal life. I love that parable of um, the shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one, because I believe this with all my heart. What's your name? I'm sorry? Ann? Can I pick on you for a minute? And let's just pretend something, okay? Let's pretend in this chapel, you're the only sinner. Might be tough looking at this crowd, but let's imagine that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, kidding. Let's just say that you are the only dirty, rotten, no good for nothing, low down, sin. No, no, no. Let's do this. In the world, let's say Anne is the only. No, no, no. Let's do this. In the history of the world, let's say Adam and Eve stayed he- um, holy. And what's your birthday? April, and April 25th, 2010, you were born, right? Yeah. Um, on April 25th, you said, right? 2010, um, when Anne was born, she started to sin. Up till that point, everybody stayed holy. You know what I believe, Anne? I believe if that was true, Jesus still would have left the heavenly realms, would have been born of the Virgin Mary, would have grown up, and would have gone to the cross, would have bled and died just for you. I live here. Feels awesome. And the same is true for all of you Anne's in here. Even if you were the only one, Jesus tells the story, the shepherd will leave the 99. Now, there's always two shepherds. You never leave the 99 alone, but that would be silly. So he leaves the 99 with, with another caregiver, another shepherd, but he goes after you. That would be the Holy Spirit. And he goes after the one. Every single one matters. Every single one of you ants. And this ant too. We don't shove Jesus down the throats, though. Because that doesn't work. Folks, what we want to do is target people's spiritual taste buds. i got to tell you, um, when I served in the inner city of Detroit, Wednesdays, I had to leave. Because Wednesdays, they served, we had a school, and we had a free lunch program, and the cooks would make collard greens, fat back, and chitlins. <coughs> I don't know if you know what collard greens are. They're from the Garden of Satan. They smell awful, and then they put a little bacon in there trying to make it good. And then fatback. You know what fatback is? See, back when African Americans couldn't go into a butcher shop, they would go in the back of the butcher and they'd take all the offal, all the stuff that, O-F-F-A-L, all the stuff that, that, that white folks didn't want, and part of the back of a pig, that's a fatback. And it's, it's fat, fat, that's all it is. Chitlins. You know what chitlin is? Deep fat fried hog intestine. I got to tell you, if you're into soul food, and these these little kids were raised on that, they'd walk in on Wednesday morning. I'd make the same noise, only I had a different look on my face. To them, that was that was a little slice. But I got to tell you, uh, I got to tell you though, um, my secretary. Blessed memory. She's in heaven now. She was as light as she was tall. And she, one of the kindest people I've ever met in my life. And it was her job, you know, she'd have to, uh, she'd have to collect tuition. And sometimes the parents would get a little aggravated with her. I remember one time she was calling and saying to this mom, well, we need your tuition because it's past due. And if, if your tuition's not paid, well, we're, we're going to not let your, your son sit in class. We'll have him sit in the principal's office. And the woman said something about coming over and kicking 
part of her anatomy. And I remember Mrs. Brown saying, well, you're certainly welcome to come over and visit me, but I guarantee you won't do that to me. <laughs> anyway, uh, I remember Mrs. Brown, her husband, he was, he was 13 years older than she was. He was uh, getting near the time to go to heaven. She invited me to come over and pray with him. And I walked in. She was making apple pie with that uh, crumble stuff on top. I could not pray fast enough to get to that pie. So we got to, what I'm trying to say is not everybody's taste buds are the same. You know, not everybody has the same needs. At my church, we do a variety of worship because, you know, if you went into a, a, an inn 200 years ago, they said, meatloaf is for dinner. You ate meatloaf, that's all you... But if, if you had a restaurant today and all they did is serve meatloaf, you probably wouldn't have a lot of customers except those that wanted meatloaf that day. So we offer, in, in uh, we had uh, four services a week. One's called Piano Prayer and Preaching. We've got a lady, she should be recording. She sits at the piano and she does hymns and praise music and she does mostly music. We do some liturgy. We do uh, give communion just once during that service a month. That's the last uh, weekend of the month. And then... Um, Preaching is usually about 40 minutes long. It's a longer sermon. Uh, I'm a Lutheran, and so, you know, that's that's about three months of sermons for other people, you know, 40 minutes. So, But but people coming out of an evangelical uh, flavor, um, they want a longer sermon. So we do that, piano prayer and preaching. Saturday night's t-shirt and jean crowd, but it's litur- liturgical. We use hymnals, we use robes, we uh, um, put everything on the altar. When it comes to communion, we have communion uh, every weekend. But it's t-shirt during jean type crowd, a little bit more relaxed. Eight o'clock Sunday morning, that's high mass. You know, that's just liturgical. We don't sing any praise music in there. Uh, even the kids, they sing hymns they, during that service because you know what? We want that to be the most uh, eight o'clock it can be because that's that's what, what draws people. It's what not just draws them. It's it's how they are able to to worship. It's what make it's what tastes good to them. And ten forty-five is our high praise service. We we don't. Wear robes. Uh, I always wear my little collar because uh, on, on church days because I want them to know who the pastor is. Uh, but uh, we don't wear robes. We don't use the organ. I got an organ that was built in 1972 by Dr. Tom Geeshan. It was built for the church. The church was built in 1886. Uh, we just rehabbed it in 2003. And, uh, but in 1972, we built this gorgeous organ. But we don't use that organ. And we have a high pulpit because there's a wraparound balcony all the way in my church. And so you, if if you're not up in a pulpit and people sitting up in a balcony, there's that old adage, you know, people can't people can't hear if they can't see. And so now we have screens. So, But we don't bring those down at 8 o'clock. We have them hidden because 8 o'clock people, we don't want them to know we got screens because that freaks them out. And, uh, but then we bring it down to screens and then I can preach from the front and get as close to the people as possible because uh, uh, I want to be in the midst but anyway, we do that because uh, we want to um, we want to help people's taste buds get what they want, spiritual taste buds. So we're targeting people's spiritual taste buds, uh, and, and what that means is um, we used to do evangelism. We'd walk up to somebody, we'd grab them by the lapel, say, "You believe in Jesus? If not, you're going to hell." We throw them, put a notch in the Bible, say, "Got me another one for the Lord." That might have worked with some people. It might have. 
when I was coming up, we did what was called dialogue evangelism. Anybody do dialogue evangelism? No? Well, you'd, you'd ask two questions. First question, somebody you just met, you're sitting in the, in the line at the post office. So if you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? That's kind of weird when you're in the post office, but that's what they wanted you to do. And then, you know, after they answered that question, the second question was this, well, how would you get there if you believe you're going to heaven? Um, and that's really confrontational evangelism, where you're confronting. I believe in relational evangelism. You know, you, you gotta, you, you gotta make a connection with people. John six thirty five. Then Jesus declared, "I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty." So we want to have people taste Jesus, because look. He fills and he slakes their thirst. Did you ever hear of Joe Delaney? Joe Delaney uh, was a professional football player for the Kansas City Chiefs. He grew up in the bayous down in Louisiana. During the off-season one summer, he was doing some hiking, and he heard some kids cry for help. And he went over by the bayou, and some kids had tipped over in a boat. And they had uh, heavy clothes on, and they were drowning. Joe Delaney jumped in the water. Big, strong guy. Grabbed one of the kids, literally threw him back into the boat. The other kid he was able to push. And then he died. Because Joe Delaney didn't know how to swim. I've had people say, I, 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 I miss my faith. I don't know how to. Jump in the water. Oh, I might drown. Maybe. Maybe not. Folks, i got to tell you, though. I'm, I'm scared to tell you this, but I, I, I'm going to tell you because I believe it. There's worse things than dying. And I don't just mean physically dying. I mean socially dying. What if, what if they don't invite me to parties anymore? What if they think I'm weird? Hey, folks, guess what? Chances are somebody probably already does. There's worse things than dying. And I'm not just talking physically dying. I'm talking about socially dying. But ain't nothing worse than spiritually dying. And the fact of the matter is, and this is this is what I believe with all my heart, if you don't have Jesus, you're spiritually dying and going to be spiritually dead. I am the way and the truth and the life. The definite article, the, is there. In the words, I am the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I've had people argue with me. But I gotta, I gotta take Jesus at His word. I believe every second of every hour of every day, people are dying and going to hell because they don't know Jesus. You know what's amazing to me in our church is we fight over the color of carpeting, we fight over the instrumentation, we fight over if somebody's sitting in our pew. You know, we let little things aggravate us. It's always amazing to me when somebody will get aggravated and stop going to church because somebody offended them. 
if they got no problem going to the same tavern that that person goes to, or restaurant, or golf course. People are dying going to hell because they don't know Jesus. Why are we alive? I'm going to just take for granted that you're believers in Jesus. And if you are, that means you're saved. The telestai. It is done. It is finished. Everything's been done. And why, are you why aren't you in heaven? Could it be? God's got something for you to do. And if that's true, then let me ask you this. What, what are you going to do today that's going to last forever? Yeah, get up. You're going to bed again. I had breakfast. Coming out again. <laughs> what are you going to do today that's going to last forever? I believe there's two things you can do that will last forever. Number one, sing praises to Jesus, like Lynn had us do. That's going to last. It's going to ring in the heavens forever. The other thing is witness our faith. You know what? You don't got to be Billy Graham. You be you. Be what you is and not what you ain't. Because when you ain't what you is, you is what you ain't. Attack people's spiritual taste buds so that they can be filled with the bread of life. Folks, we have dined on the deliverer. Oh, that's good dining. When I was at my first church, it was a oh when I started preaching, there was about forty older black women. That was pretty much the whole congregation. <coughs> and uh, one Sunday. Very large, very dirty, uh, unkempt, ill-mannered woman came in. Large, large, very large, very dirty. She was a street lady. She sat in the front pew. And uh, I was preaching. And that was okay. I mean, other street people come in, homeless people. But as I was preaching, I heard this clip. clipping her fingernails in the front pew of the church while I'm preaching. I saw red. I had righteous anger. Heck with her doing that during my sermon, but in the house of the Lord! I thought it was righteous anger. So I was shaking hands in the back of the church as she came through. She's kind of a jolly sort of lady. I said, hey, what's your name? She said, Annie Pearl Henry. I said, well, Annie Pearl... I'll thank you not to clip your nails in my church anymore. She said, what? I said, that's disgusting. It's disgraceful. You don't do that in the house of the Lord. Annie Pearl Henry, you come again here, you leave your nail clippers at home because they are not welcome. She said, well, this is how I listen. I said, I don't care how you listen. You don't clip your nails in church. You got that. She said, I understand that she walked away. I didn't see Annie Pearl. And I walked all through the neighborhoods. I, I made a point. I wasn't going to be a slave to my car or imprisoned to the church. So I walked there. I had my little black shirt with a little white collar. Everybody knew where the white guy was in the neighborhood. I wasn't a drug dealer and I wasn't a cop. So they liked me. And I was walking down the street and I saw Annie Pearl. And you don't forget a woman or a name like Annie Pearl Henry. And as she came out of a storefront, she saw me. And her eyes got wide and she turned away. 
said, Annie Pearl. And she didn't turn around. I said, Annie Pearl. I said, Annie Pearl, Henry, you stop right there. And she stopped. We were back to I said, Annie Pearl, it's me, Pastor Yonker. I'm thinking, I'm the only white guy within miles. How do you not recognize me? And she said, I know who you are. I said, well, I haven't seen you in church. She said, you told me I couldn't come. I said, Annie Pearl, I did not. She said, you told me I wasn't welcome. I said, I said, your nail clippers weren't welcome. She goes, I heard you say I wasn't welcome, that I couldn't come and hear about Jesus. Yonker. Why do we let foolishness get in the way of the gospel? And then we ran up at Annie Pearl and said, Annie. I said, Annie Pearl, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm half bohemian. I'm filled with of life. I started to cry. That's what I do. I'm a crier. Nose running, tears flying. I, I spit everywhere too carefully. Careful. And she said, can I come back to your church? I like your church. I said, I like when you get all wound up. And, you know, I, I get loud and I talk fast. Now, you should see me. I, I'm old, fat, and tired now. You should see me when I was young and skinny. Woohoo! I was preaching one time. <laughs> and I went to be dramatic, and I whipped off my glasses. And they went, I was up in the pulpit, and I whipped off my glasses, and the glasses went sailing into the congregation. Um, Henry Lewis, he stands up, grabs him, catches him out of the air, says, God, keep going, preacher. <laughs> anyway, um, she started coming to church. And then... Uh, She'd show me. She'd, she'd find little pieces of paper. Sometimes, you know, on a, on a Wrigley's gum wrapper, on a foil on the inside, you know it's white there, right? She, she liked to write poems there, little bitty poems. Sometimes they'd rhyme some. It was really quite good, I thought. And it was about being black. It was about being a Christian. And it was about not having any money. She was poor. She was homeless. And she would, so she, she'd come and she'd say, she never stayed long. She'd stay 15, 20 minutes. She'd knock on the door and I'd let her in and say, I want to talk to you about poetry and such. That's what she'd say, poetry and such. My last Christmas there, I was there four Christmases. Um, it, in my neighborhood, all the visiting was done during the day. Nobody visited in the evening. I mean, everybody had security bars and doors on the, uh, nobody set up Christmas stuff either because somebody would steal it. Besides, there was no money. We were, we were poor. My starting salary was $12,006. Not $12,600, $12,006. Because it's just Joanne and I, family of two at that time, poverty level was $12,000. They got me over poverty level by giving me six extra dollars. We were poor people. We were poor. It was all right. We lived well. In... Uh, Nobody visited at night. I mean, because Moses would be knocking on your door. You didn't open the door at nighttime for anybody. So I was uh, at the church, and I was in my office studying. I had a side door right there. And also, there was a pounding on the door. Now, when I first got there, uh, the first six weeks, every Saturday, I would go down and get a sandblaster because the local gangs would tag the back of my church where we lived in church. And so I'd get a sandblaster, and I'd sandblast off the, the, uh, the tags. And then they stopped tagging the church. But anyway, uh, there was, you know, we had, um, that was when Advent of Crack Cocaine came out. Um, we couldn't do, like, neighborhood evangelism, like, knocking on doors. Hey, will you come to our church? 
because we had uh, five crack houses in a three-block radius of the church. So when somebody's pounding on the door at night, I jumped. Had a little peephole there, and there's Amy Poe. It was cold. It was right before Christmas. It was cold. I see Amy Poe, get in here. She had a big garbage bag with her. I said, what are you doing out on the night? You should be at the shelter. What are you doing? She said, I had to bring you this. And I said, well, you had to bring your garbage? She said, no, no, it's a present. It's my wrapping paper. And uh, I said, well, you don't have to do this. She said, no, I'm going to give you this. And I tore open the wrapping paper. And is Joanne in here, my wife? I said, I don't know. She's not here yet. Because um, we always argue on the color of this thing. Anyway, um, inside was a quilt. A beautiful, brand new quilt. She said, Pastor, it gets cold here. I don't want my pastor cold. And the price tag was on it, but torn. You know, the, the tag was on it, was torn off, you know, whatever it cost. I said, Annie Pearl, I said, you, you shouldn't have done this. She said, I didn't steal it. I paid for it. I used my own money. I paid for it. I said, well, Annie Pearl, you still shouldn't have done it. She said, you don't like it? I said, no, it's beautiful. I wrapped it around my shoulders. And uh, I think it's blue. So I think it's gray. Blue-green. I said, no, I love it. I said, but you should, you can't afford this. She said, but I wanted to give it to you. I said, Annie, Annie Pearl, I can't accept this. And she got stern. She said, you will accept this. I said, I will. She said, yeah. She said, you teach us all the time what Jesus did for us and that we couldn't afford what he did for us. And he'd give it to us for free. So I want you to have this for free. And he not only keeps us warm, he's given us heaven. And I want you to know that I believe in Jesus because of what he's given me for free. If you come to my house, you're welcome to stay. And if it's cold, I'm going to give you a quilt. I think it's blue. Joanne thinks it's green. We keep it clean. We give an incredible gift from an incredible woman. Why about put out of the church? We have dined on the deliverer. It should say at the top, as Jesus did for us, may we do for others in his name. As Jesus has done, he's allowed us to dine on him. I love it that Jesus says, and lo, I'll be with you always, even at the end of the age. In holy communion, we take in his body and blood. You can't get any closer or have Jesus get any closer than when he's inside of you. As he's done for us, and we do for others in his name. So, we're going to look at a couple of things here. Um, what does salt do? Uh, being the salt. It helps us make life a little sweeter. I was going to say saltier, but you know that? Sometimes to be salty is a negative connotation. So allow me to mix my metaphor. Salt helps make, us being salt, helps make life a little bit sweeter. Psalm 119, verse 103. How sweet are your words to my tweet to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth oh that we would help people 
that we would help people understand that the Word of God is not something boring. It's a love letter, right? That's what it is. You know, it's it's people say, well, it's not a book; it's a library, because there's not there's not uh, not a book. There's 66 books in there, and that's true. It's really just a love letter. It's a love letter from God straight to you. And and when we read it as such, not about do's and even the do's and don'ts. Um, so. I use the uh, traditional numbering of um, the Ten Commandments, not the evangelical way. And when you use the traditional way, uh, you divide the covets, right? So I, I, the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those three commandments all deal with loving God, right? And the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Fifth commandment, thou shalt not slay in cold blood. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not boo-hoo sins. Sexual sins. That's supposed to be funny. I get nothing today. Nothing. Thank you. Seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Lois Yonker, my mother. Great sayings. She had sayings like that. If you don't use your head, you use your feet. Think about that. How many times you walked into a room, thought you were going to pick something up, forget to get it, and have to go do it again. You don't use your head, you use your feet, right? Um, she also said, never trouble, trouble, because trouble troubles you. We'll talk more about that. That's good, isn't it? Don't go looking for trouble. Trouble hasn't bothered me in a while. Maybe I'll go looking for it. Please. It'll find you all on its own. But also this one. What is it your own? You leave alone. Seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Eighth commandment, don't lie. Ninth commandment, don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Tenth commandment, don't covet your neighbor's people. And those last seven, I'll deal with loving other people. And so the teacher comes to, or uh, the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what's your greatest commandment? And he says, uh, love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. From Deuteronomy 6. The second one's almost like it. Love your neighbors yourself. You see what Jesus did? Took the Ten Commandments and boiled them down to two. Love God, love your neighbor. What's the common denominator? Why does Jesus give us the commandments? Teach us to be better lovers. Not to be cosmic killjoy. Life is better when our relationships are intact. Best thing in life are good relationships. Worst thing in life, bad relationships. What's that? I missed that. What would you say? The power of the gospel. Are you from Minnesota? You know, like, it makes me want to pick on them. Well, being from Minnesota, what's your favorite professional football team? No, no, professional. I'm sorry. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Let's talk later. I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Oh, that was good. Um, Let's go on. So many, so many people live lives that are dazed and confused. With Jesus, they should be amazed and enthused. By the word enthusiastic, enthused comes from the Greek. En means to be in. Theos. En theos means to be God, is God. Enthusiastic means really being into God. 
So many people live lives that are dazed and confused. You don't have to go looking for people on who to share your faith with. There's plenty out there. Sometimes they live in the same household. I'm simply saying the people around you make their life a little sweeter, a little better. Just a little better. Uh, uh, I think any place that I go to, if I can if I can just leave it a little better than I found it, or if they can leave me a little better than they found me, that's good too. All right, we are right at 1032. Uh, the stacks are there. Let me have a prayer with you. I'm going to invite you to come back in eight minutes. Not seven, not nine. Eight minutes. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for letting us get together this morning. And as we see, indeed, how good you taste, help us, oh Lord, to enjoy the taste of you, but also to be hungry to want to share this taste with others. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.